So we've been together now and practicing for pretty much two days. And one of the things we notice is that it's not so easy to get comfortable in the situation. How much we long for finding the secret way to do it in which you would become reliably and ongoingly comfortable. And it's really not our wish for anyone to be any other than comfortable. And I hope you're finding what you need to take care of yourselves as best you're able here. There are more blankets and cushions and chairs in the back room, but more of those sort of things don't necessarily guarantee what we're looking for. But you're welcome to use them, of course. It's quite a thing, isn't it, to have a body? You know, we kind of, it's been going on like this ever since we turned up here, so we kind of take it for granted in a certain way that having a body is what happens. Um, and in a certain way, that's a reasonably fair response. But at the same time, it's like, oh, what is this? To be embodied life, to be conscious with a body. What does it have to offer us? And we're invited again and again and again to notice we have a body. It's sitting here. It's walking. It's breathing. It's doing what bodies do. We choose this field of attention because it has a lot to offer us. It's not to make body more important than something else. But to see by virtue of our body being here and now, and this is the only place we encounter it, when we connect with body, we are quite naturally present. So we give attention to it. And it provides us a ground in which our attention can rest. Into which, as we give our attention, as we offer this, this capacity we have for wakefulness, for presence, for sensitivity, mindfulness, connectedness. We can speak of it in many ways. As we offer this to the body, we see that much of our lives we relate to our body as a kind of a, a separate thing and in a sort of a distant way that we're looking at it as if from outside it, as if our heart and mind were somehow separate from it. And we have images and labels and concepts which have their place and their value with regard to our body, to its size and its shape and its colour and its various things. And yet, when we bring our attention directly to body, to this body, what we find is a field of vital, fluid, living experience. Far more than the, 
the concepts and the images and the ideas we might have about it could suggest. And we're invited here as we engage in practice, we're using the body as a place to rest the attention, to offer the attention, we could say. But it's not just that we're offering our attention to the body, the body is also offering something to us in that. And one of the elements it offers us is a place of contemplation to see how this body its journey, its life is framed. And the way the Buddha spoke of this was it's framed by birth, aging, sickness and death. And you think, hmm, that doesn't sound very good. Why would I want to think about it like that? I came here to feel better. That doesn't make me feel better. Maybe, maybe not. To see that our body is in a process or a journey which has a beginning and an end. And to really acknowledge that. I mean, I remember when I first encountered this teaching and it was kind of, oh, that's interesting, sounds a bit serious. But I remember also being curious, birth, ageing, sickness, death. Hmm. It doesn't sound quite right because I got sick long before I was ageing. I remember having the flu when I was a kid, it was horrible. And it's like, Surely the Buddha wouldn't have got them in the wrong order, would he? He seems like quite a logical character. If you've read any of his stuff, he's sort of very meticulous in his thinking, it seems. And it was only later when I heard another expression of this that, in fact, a better way to describe would be birth, ageing, decay and death. And it's like, hmm, that's even less pleasant to hear, isn't it? Decay. That kind of sickness that you don't get better from. And it's like at some level we don't want to know about that. But it's here in our lives and the implications of it run through everything. So we're invited to turn towards, to contemplate, to consider what is it to be here in a body for now, because we are here for now, but knowing it's not forever. And knowing too that the condition of it will change. And sometimes it improves, which is lovely. We can work with it and develop capacities. But there's another trajectory that really only goes in one direction. And if we're fortunate, we might get, you know, 10, 12, 20 years of it's all pretty good with a body. But not that long beyond that point for most of us and for some of us before then we encounter the limitations the challenges the difficulties and what do we do with that there's a natural wish to preserve our well-being and to take care of our body that's appropriate it's not to disregard that sense of wanting to care for our bodies and our well-being and yet understanding that at some level certain elements of what happens here will not be in our control. And the effect of that, if we're not attentive to it, is that we, we play out a certain and rather simple but profoundly significant dynamic 
in which when we encounter what we find unpleasant or difficult, scary or challenging, or unpredictable, we tend to tighten and contract and harden in an attempt to protect ourselves from that. To have a body is to participate in a, a journey of life that has been happening for hundreds and thousands and actually millions of years. And the very first expressions of life as far as sort of modern scientific knowledge understands and there are religious views that express it differently than this but I'm taking one particular body of knowledge here the first expressions of life were little single-celled organisms that were kind of just floating around in the soup of sort of the ocean or sort of other bodies of water and they had a little membrane around them it's kind of the, the basic thing. There's still plenty of such creatures in the world today. And this membrane, when you come up close to something nutritious, it kind of expands and sometimes it wants to suck in all the good stuff. Huh? That's how it gets food. It's got this little membrane to keep itself separate. It's not dissolved and all that. But it needs to get good stuff in. Call it food, nutrition. But sometimes what it's surrounded by is stuff that's actually unhealthy or toxic. And it wants to keep it out. And when it is in that situation, the membrane tightens up and tries to squeeze all those little pores tight and closed to keep out the bad stuff. And human beings are made up of several billion, I'm not trying to be precise here, several billion little cells not so different than those early expressions of life. And what happens when we encounter something threatening, scary, difficult, unwanted, if we're not conscious of what's happening, is we tighten. And it's like the very cells and the tissues and the very fabric of our body contracts. When it's something lovely and pleasant we encounter, the very fabric of our body so softens, relaxes and opens. And you may have noticed what it's like to, uh, if you walk barefoot, outside and I, I notice putting my bare feet on the ground it's really lovely until I stand on a sharp rock and then my foot goes mm, crunches up or if there's a cold breeze on my skin the tendency to tighten and then the sun comes and it just softens so far as that happens as a, a simple reaction to what is coming to us by way of experience we're pretty much at the mercy of the conditions. And we can put a lot of effort and energy into trying to organize and control them to provide us with what we find pleasurable and avoid what we find uncomfortable. And in the attempt to control our experience, our very heart and mind, not just our body, because they're all woven together, the very heart and mind and body of our life becomes tight, hard, contracted in an attempt to resist and control experience. And one of the fundamental things we're learning to do here, and we get many, many invitations and opportunities, quite a few of which we just don't want to take, but we are invited 
to learn to soften and to open. And part of what's really difficult here is that our experience is not in our control. Our body is not in our control. It's of the nature of things. And the nature of things is that they don't go according to our plans or our wishes all the time. Has anyone noticed that? Has anyone ever wondered about why it's going that way? Please be assured it's not because you're doing it wrong. That fantasy is something that we're kind of given in our culture. That if you did it right, everything would go swimmingly, sweetly and be comfortable and pleasant and flattering. No person has ever had that experience because it doesn't go that way. We all experience a mixture of what we find pleasurable and what we find painful. And we can adjust the mix a certain amount, but we can't control it. And these things are woven together. Even that which brings us pleasure in one moment may equally bring us pain in another. So part of what happens here is that in our relationship to the body there can be a lot of distrust because it's not in our control. And part of why then we kind of withdraw from it. We take Our attention comes up into the thinking mind, into the head we could say, although of course the head is part of the body, but what we mean by that is the intellectual, rational, conceptual functioning elements of what we might call mind as an aspect of the, the heart-mind-body system. And we get focused on that, partly because it offers us the hope, though it doesn't actually fulfill that promise, it offers the hope of being able to fix or control experience, but also because it seems to provide an escape from the vulnerability and the uncertainty and the challenge of being in our body, embodied. And what we might notice is that when we're caught in reactivity, if we turn our attention to our body, is that actually it's kind of painful or it's distressing, it's uncomfortable what's happening, but we're not in touch with it. And so the invitation to get in touch with our body is not entirely welcome. It's like, hmm, I'm not sure I want to do that at some level. It might sound like a good idea, but in fact, I find it challenging. Now, With this, we see that often that withdrawal is an expression of some fear of how we have experienced being overwhelmed by our experience in the body, either in terms of physical or emotional experiences. We may, and many of us will, have been overwhelmed at times in the past and made the quite understandable decision, particularly for most of us have happened to us as children made the decision not consciously 
but made the decision to kind of move away from that which is overwhelming. And there's, of course, an appropriateness and a wisdom in that. But we may, as adults, have the capacity to reclaim our body as a field that we can inhabit fully. And what is needed here is that we start to give attention in a careful way, in a caring way. It's not that we're saying we've just got to somehow force our attention into the field of the body and even if it's really difficult, just grit your teeth and do that. No. Sometimes we need to back off. Sometimes we need to go slowly. Sometimes we need to say, "Mm, that's enough for now. But it's not about avoiding at that point it's more just saying we'll just go slowly here so there's a very different process that takes place when we're interested to engage but we're still aware that maybe we're not sure what's going to happen here and that can give rise to a sense of fear where we kind of are thinking about oh it didn't go so well before how will I make sure it doesn't go badly in the future Fear tends to push us into the past, looking for the problem or the causes, and then drive us into the future, trying to figure out a solution to how to avoid the difficult things that we experienced in the past, repeating themselves. Again, there's some learning that we can make in those reflections. That's okay. But there's a different quality of alertness that's born of caution, that understands that there may be tricky things here. But rather than trying to figure out what happened in the past or work out how to control the future, we're more interested in actually what's happening right now. Because that's what we need in a situation where there might be danger or there might be something difficult or risky to negotiate. We're more likely to get into trouble if we're busy worrying about how bad it was the last time or wondering how to avoid it happening again. You know, if we're crossing a road and we almost got run over once, or I, I got hit by a motorcycle once in a field. Well, it wasn't a road. Um, it was my friend. Don't worry. It was all right. But if I hear a motorbike, my body goes, ah, I'm about to be run over. And it's like, actually, okay, so check. Is there a motorbike? If so, get out of the way. If not, oh, breathe with that sensation, the sound of a motorbike. Whoa. Forty years later, it's still has that effect in my system. It's a little bit less. And so when we pay attention in a way with, for instance, the sensitivity of our feet touching the ground, it makes sense, given how sensitive our feet are, to really pay attention there. Because otherwise we might stand on something sharp and put all our weight on it before we realise. It's quite natural when we're in touch with our vulnerability, to move slowly and be attentive. As I was saying in the small group this morning, it's only because we wrap our feet with shoes that we ever stop being mindful of our feet. Take away the shoes. As soon as you're walking, you want to know what's going on there. And so it's like shoes are this tool designed to help us be completely mindless about our feet. So we can be busy thinking about other more important things. There's a place for that. 
But there's also a loss here because we stop inhabiting the fullness of our body. And when we start to give attention to it, although initially it is challenging, at times scary, certainly can be not easy, what we also find in moments is that as we start to soften, as we start to open, in fact the body becomes an inviting place to inhabit. In fact, there's a, there's a sweetness of, a, of this living ground of bodily life when we're not in fear of it, when we're not demanding something from it, when we're interested in, connected with it, and it begins to soften and open. And then rather than it being something we find threatening or scary or just kind of not sure we want to have it, it really clearly lets us know and we recognize it. No, we don't need someone to tell us, oh, I want to be here. Something in me loves to be, longs to be deeply consciously embodied. And there's a, there's a wholeness to that experience that is lost in our withdrawal from what we find difficult what we find painful and in fact the difficult and the painful experience impacts us much more not because it's difficult or painful but because we unconsciously withdraw and disconnect and it's that disconnection that withdrawal from our life that we feel as the deeper suffering in the situation like sometimes as someone was saying things seem a little boring on meditation retreat it's like there's not a lot going on is there We're just sitting around walking back and forth I mean if you told your friends back home who'd not done this what you were doing well wow, meditation retreat those first two days it was really hard then they say oh, so what were you doing well we had to sit around for you know 30 40 minutes they told us not to do anything and then we got up and we ambled back and forth but we weren't supposed to go anywhere we sat down again we stood up for a while stood around a bit, they gave us a meal. That was really hard work. They would have no idea what was going on, would they? And yet, there's something about it is really challenging because we're asking ourselves to come into relationship with something that we've initially lost our sensitivity to. And anyone who takes their shoes off, as we've suggested, and you know, and I still they go, oh, it's cold, it's wet, oh, don't want to. And then when I do, it's like, huh, oh, that's right. Yeah, I like this. I can do that a million times, it seems. And in so many different ways. I mean, walking is boring, we say. It feels like, what am I doing? It's pointless. But when a small child learns to walk for the first time, or when an adult who's been sick for a while gets to walk for the first time? Oh, it's so good. It's so good, isn't it? Maybe we remember that. And it's like, what would it be to walk here as if we walked for the first time? One step at a time. And the breathing too, it's like, you know, breathing, oh, thanks. 
just goes in, goes out, goes in, goes out. What's so special, you know? We get lost in our minds a lot of the time because we're looking for something more interesting than what we've been offered. And yet, of course, as soon as we contemplate the breath, we realize, oh, actually, the breath is just for now. We don't know when the last outbreath will be. Because one of these outbreaths will be not followed by an in-breath. And we don't know. It doesn't usually come with a sign that says, hey, this will be the last one. It just goes out. And I've talked about this many times over the, the years and decades of teaching and I've reflected on it many times. And last year I was sitting with my sister in Sweden and she'd been through an 18-month journey with cancer. And I was there and my mum was there and this was, we knew her last time, her last breaths. And we were so attentive to her breath. And it would go out. And there'd be a pause and a wait and we'd wonder. And then there'd be another one that came in. So, oh, okay, she's still here. She's still breathing. And this went on over time and then there was a time where it went out and we wondered again. And then a little while later we thought, oh my gosh, that was it. But maybe. And then, no, that was the last breath. But it was a good two or three minutes after it had gone out before we knew there wasn't going to be another one. And something so tender and so beautiful. My, my younger sister, she wasn't so old. You know, and just, there she is. Her body is breathing and then it's not. And it was, of course, deeply sorrowful and tender, but it was also so profoundly connecting to be just listening to her breath, paying attention to her breath. The loss of connection is the deeper suffering always. And what we're practicing, what looks like practicing giving attention or being mindful or conscious, yes, that, but what we're also doing is connecting and we could say reconnecting. One of the words that translates or one of the ways we can translate the word in Pali, sati, which is translated most commonly as mindfulness, it also translates as remembering. And you might think, oh, remembering. Okay, yeah, that's good. I need to remember to pay attention because we forget, don't we? Every few moments, it seems. Sometimes for quite a while. And then we remember to pay attention again. But there's another meaning, remember. It's kind of like what would resolve something that was dismembered. To remember, to return the parts to wholeness. And so there's a remembering going on as we come back into contact with. And of course the territory of that contact is a place of disconnect at times, dismemberedness, which is painful to us. So it's not easy to inhabit the territory. But it's so important that we, we do because in the inhabiting of the territory we begin to heal the disconnects. 
And sometimes that involves a kind of vulnerability. That's not easy for us. So what is it to give a really kind attention to this body? One aspect of this is we have to forgive our body for the fact that sometimes it experiences pain. We have to forgive life for the fact that sometimes we experience what is difficult, painful and unwanted. The Buddha spoke about the importance of understanding this aspect of life, that which is not easy, that which is hard to bear. He talked about, and he used the word dukkha, which is often translated as suffering. And, you know, again, it doesn't sound like what we came along on a retreat to get more of, does it? It's like, ah, oh, no, no, let, let, can't we talk about the sort of something a bit more uplifting? But for me it's always seemed a real relief to acknowledge oh yeah there is that aspect to life and it's there for us all what do we do with a life that includes this do we try and dismember it to try and separate out and keep away that part of it because we can't what happens when we push something away is that whatever we're pushing away it's part of the fabric of life. It's woven into it. So it's a bit like if you were to try and push on the earth, to push the earth away. What happens? It doesn't really go anywhere. You get pushed away. Our pushing away actually removes us from connected relationship. And so to forgive this body, and we might think, I don't need to forgive my body. I know it's not my body's fault. And that's great. But it's not about, again, the conceiving or the idea we hold at that level, which may or may not be in accord of what, with what I've described. It's how is the behavior manifesting? And if the habit and the tendency is to push away or to tighten or withdraw, that's expressing of relationship, of unwillingness, of unforgiveness, perhaps we could say. Of saying, no, I don't want to be in relationship with this, with you, with what's here. And yet, as we learn to bring a sense of care, of kindness, of love, we could say, friendliness, kind of framework in which we're moving starts to open up this it starts to become a place of safety because we've made a commitment to say I will not abandon you here I will not abandon my experience of course sometimes I'm going to but when I do because we have the tendency the habit for a time I'm going to come back once I've realized so there's no absolute sort of I'm never going to do it again it's more like when I realize I've pulled away, I'm going to come back. 
rather than, oh, I'm trying to stay with my breath and I'm trying to get back there and get good marks for mindfulness of breathing, which I truly don't know how far that will get you in life. But it's not a bad thing. But there's something more important here. And as we allow ourselves to experience the places that might feel tight or hard or uncomfortable and do so with with a kindness. And yeah, you know, we do things we don't mean sometimes. We might think, God, klutz, you know, isn't he supposed to be teaching mindfulness? Um, Didn't even know what he was doing. And it's like, you know, dear klutz, it's okay. As we start to bring this attention into our body, initially it's scary and it's not easy, but over time it starts to reveal the the aliveness of this body. And as we talk about mindfulness, we could equally talk about heartfulness. So there's the attentiveness and then there's the kindliness and then there's bodyfulness which is what happens when the body is filled and suffused with kind attention. And this is embodied awareness, presence and there's something about it that when we encounter it in moments or periods of time we know that it's something we're interested in. Perhaps even more than that. It's like there's something here we can reference, we can refer to, something available that's possible for us as human beings that isn't so dependent on what the experiences are, but is much more of based in an orientation towards experience, in a commitment to reconnect, to re-engage, to open into, and over time learn to release ourselves from the habits and the compulsions of withdrawal, disconnection, of hardening and tightening, and actually become more fluid. A fluidity that can allow our experience to move quite naturally as it does because experience itself is fluid. And so far as we become rigid, we're out of sync with it. So far as we become fluid, actually it all starts to somehow move in a more harmonious way. That doesn't mean it isn't still difficult. But you may have noticed moments in your day, in the meditations or outside the meditations, where you were just there. And it's like, ah, yeah, there's something about that. Does anyone recognize that? Just even in moments, and I'm sure you've had a few of them. We tend to count all the moments when we're not present and use it sort of to keep scores against ourselves. Notice what happens in the moments when you are, because this is not a quantitative game. It's not about stacking up as many sort of moments and getting a tally. It's a qualitative game. I.e. what qualities we encounter, even in what might initially be 
occasional moments of really being present. These start to call us deeper into our experience, into our life. And we might also, as we begin to explore this, we, we see this ground is offered to us to inhabit, to practice with this body fullness. And we notice perhaps then the, the slight incongruence of our ways of thinking about our body that we don't often question. I mean, how easily we might imagine that this body is mine as if there was someone here who owned it and it's mine yeah we can talk about it that way it's useful to know that you know it's not somebody else's so we know which one to put some food in which teeth to brush in the evening you know if we get confused about mine at that level it causes a lot of trouble but at another level you know we're not the only person inhabiting this organic tissue we're not the only being here you know that don't you this isn't news to you. There are hundreds and thousands, in fact billions of other creatures living in this organic structure. There's actually more bacteria in here and in there than there are cells of human tissue. If this was a democracy, we'd be outvoted. Which actually explains how things happen the way they do, doesn't it? Oh, I decided this, that happened. But I thought I was in charge. Hmm? No. You might be a little bit able to influence, and sometimes a lot able to influence, but absolutely not in charge in the way we like to think. And so we might then have a sense of gratitude for, oh, well, you know, I get to use it. It's actually on loan in one sense. And it's not just for me. It's, you could say it's a co-housing project. And how do we relate to that? There's something kind of embarrassing at some level. But there's also something quite sweet, I find. I thought, oh, well, okay. That's what's going on. That's actually what's going on. And we might feel okay about sharing it. One of the characters in the sort of the stories of historical followers of the Buddha's teaching is one of the characters I love the most is Ryokan, who was a, a hermit monk, a poet, and a, a very beautiful soul, it seems to me. And on one occasion, Ryokan was seen on a frosty winter's morning, opening his robe and taking the lice out of the robe and placing them on a, on a, sun, on a stone in the sun to warm them. Really carefully. And at the end of the day, he was seen picking them up and putting them back in his robe. And I wonder, what did he know? One of his poems includes the line, Oh, that my monk's robe would be wide enough to gather up all the beings 
in this floating world. And just have that sense of the simple, beautiful, sort of just, ha, ah, what would it be to see the bodies, the beings, the creatures, ourselves and others in that way that we want to just wrap our arm around And so we, we contemplate this body. We see it's not just mine or not just for me. We might also just acknowledge that sense of how much it does by itself. It's like it's intelligent. Breathing. You know, it's really fortunate, isn't it, that the breath, the body just breathes. Like if it was relying on you and me to remember to breathe, given how often we forget to pay attention to the breathing, you know, three minutes would be gone. Unless there was someone here who could help us at that point. But it's like, has anyone been unmindful of their breath for more than three minutes? Really lucky it does it by itself. And yet we get into somehow trying to adjust the breath so quickly. What is it to bow to the wisdom of the body? It digests the food. Sure, we need to put the food in the mouth. We find it, receive it, and wonderful food we're offered here. But the body digests. It maintains temperature and pH levels and hormone levels. It does all these different things. Circulation, healing of injuries, gestation. It produces more beings. Not this body couldn't, but some bodies can. And this body births and dies. And it kind of knows how to do that when the time comes. And at some level that's a little perplexing. But there's also a kind of a relief. It's a, ah, okay, maybe I don't have to do it in the way I imagined. It's not to say we're somehow not required to be engaged here, because we are. But the way of engagement, the invitation to be engaged is perhaps a little different. It's like to be close to what's happening and see. If anything's needed that I can offer, I can offer it. And sometimes, you know, I may need to change my posture. Or I might just want to find, I could just open my attention a little wider in the body. Sure. Start and get a little tight or forced could open it up or I'm getting a little kind of not quite sure if I'm really paying attention to my body so maybe a little gathering and focus would be useful okay in breath out breath oh, okay so we're engaged we're not disengaged but we're not trying to make something happen here we're trying to allow what is happening to be revealed and to speak to us. The Buddha said that within this fathom long body, a fathom is an ancient sort of depth measurement of, it's about six feet I think. It's not in common usage. But in this fa and of course that's a translation isn't it? But that's where I heard the first translation. The Buddha never said the word fathom. 
but uh, somehow I like that word, in this fathom-long body, all of the Dharma, all of the teachings are revealed. The truth of, of dukkha, of that which is hard to bear and its cause. The truth of release, of liberation and the path there too. Revealed in and through the body, this body. And so we're invited to this place in which embodied life reveals itself and has so much more to reveal. This conscious life embodied this shared experience of sensitivity and vulnerability of something beautiful and precious and not forever but here right now these human bodies the bodies of all living things and the very larger body of the earth the body of life all partake of this and when we inhabit our life moment by moment in this spirit of open hearted caring and careful attentiveness giving ourselves to what is here again and again and again not defending ourselves from our experience not trying to control or manipulate it but trusting in the power of deeply connecting with we may start to sense more clearly to feel more deeply to know more profoundly the openness, the groundedness, the connectedness that offers itself to us in the very vastness and immediacy of life. And it's in this our hearts come to rest, our bodies come to peace. Our lives come to wholeness, together with all. That shares this life. And so we practice. Not just to be more mindful, but to see what is revealed, to be discovered, to be released and to be offered in this human life. So let's just sit quietly for a few moments together.
So may we all, in our practice here together and in our lives, may we come to deeply remember the wholeness of embodied life and the preciousness of what is right here for our own well-being and for the welfare of all beings and all that lives. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.